tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable. To see if each other says at the end of the pod, that's My Kind of Weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollock, and joining me today is comic book creator and content writer, Christoph Borgarch. Christoph, how'd I go at the pronunciation? You, you did good. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. It's a... Uh... Uh, people always get really uptight about the pronunciation. Um, and I always tell them that, uh, like, so my family's Austrian, but we anglicize it. So my writer name is Christoph Borgach, but just when I'm at home, cause I'm lazy, I'm Christoph Borgas. So even my family doesn't pronounce it right. So no, never <laughs> any pressure on that. All right, Christoph, are you ready to get weird with me? Uh, th- that feels like a very loaded question, but yes. <laughs> All right. Present your something watchable. Yeah. So my something watchable uh, is, and I apologize in advance for dragging you into this world, is the TLC reality show Seeking Sister Wife, which I am low-key obsessed with. This season on Seeking Sister Wife. Cheers. How many women is that now? You got a lot going on. I'm currently talking to five women, but there's no possible way that I could continue to seek another sister wife if we don't correct the situation with Kayla. Just make sure that you don't leave me and her alone. Yeah. There's not going to be any sex. We'll keep you honorable. Thank you. Speaking of sharing, (laughs) we already set the D schedule. Oh, I like it in the morning. Crystalline can be getting D in the night. Um, That's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, so I don't know how much you know about the TLC sort of staple of shows, but they are like absolute reality trash. Like just the bottom of the barrel kind of like, when you think about like the worst of reality TV, it was probably created by TLC. Um, (laughs) So the concept behind Seeking Sister Wife is that they – uh, follow a bunch of families who are what is what is called a plural marriage, which is which which is a polygamous marriage where a ma- where they're very specifically a man has multiple wives. Uh, the man can you know sleep with and have relations with any of the wives. The wives do not have relations with each other. They're very strict about that in the premise of the show. So I'm pre- I think I've seen this show. Hey, I'm pretty sure pretty sure I've seen it because I think it used to be on Foxtel like way back in the I, day. They you know were show, they were showed alongside with this other one called Cajun Weddings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that well, that is absolute trash. <laughs> so look, I God, I know so much about the trashy world of TLC. But so Seeking Sister Wife is a spin-off, as a lot of TLC shows are, are of another show called Sister Wives, which is about a uh, Mormon man who has four wives. Um, and they're about that show's about ten seasons deep. So for newer watchers, it's quite impenetrable. Whereas Seeking Sister Wife, uh, they have they're only four seasons in, and each season they'll follow some of the same couples, but they also have new ones that'll come in. Yeah, and you kind of are following a bunch, so it's much easier to get up get up to scratch with it. And essentially, 
the show consists of two types of people, which are either A, people who are clearly sort of poly but very specific about it and aren't religious, and then people who and then horny religious men who clearly want to have multiple wives and are, and are sort of jumping through hoops to kind of justify it religiously. Yeah, it's, it's not misogyny then, at all. It's just religion. No, it's – look, so the, the funny thing is that there are like the fundamentalist Mormons on there and they tend to be like decent because they actually genuinely like believe in it, whereas there's some sort of vanilla Christian people, Christian men who clearly are just doing it because they want to have more than one wife and it's all very – it's very weird to watch but also I, I can't look away. <laughs> Oh man, I didn't get a chance to read it when when we we're talking offline and uh, sorry, watch it. And when we we're talking offline, you're like, oh, I want to talk about this. I'm just so I can't find it. I just can't find it. I don't know why. But um, yeah, this look, looks like- in Australia, it's on binge, but it is like there's only one season available here. It's a bit yeah. I know in the states it's a lot easier to watch, but here yeah, the TLC shows sort of get. Uh, scattered around all the various streaming services. All right. So my something watchable is a little independent production called What We Do in the Shadows. The problems with living with other vampires are the vampires I have chosen to stay with. I wanted to talk about general hygiene in the cell. Last night, there were all these people down there half drunk. Where did they find the alcohol? No, they were half drunk. They've been half drunk. If you've got something to say, then damn well say it. It's not hygienic! Nandor is like a big turkey. Um, have, have you heard of this little independent it, Look, I was about to say, I've, I've recently, you said, you said you've been watching season one, is that correct? Oh, uh, well, I just wanted to talk about season one because I've only seen yeah. the first season. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. I look, I'm up to date and I don't want to look, I, I think the show is consistently strong, but I think season one and two are, are particularly good. Yeah. Okay. Right. I like anything usually to do with vampires. And I think that the whole vampire, uh, just sort of in context, I've never seen the film by Taika Waititi, but um, I like any sort of idea where there's vampires and then they're roommates and then the inclusion of the energy-sucking vampire, which is played by Mark. That's right, Mark. Mark yeah. yeah. How – God, I'm, I apologize in advance. I'm just going to be talking this entire podcast. But how familiar are you with Mark Proch? So I remember him from The Office right towards the end. He was like one of the guys that worked in sort of the – you know, the the bay, um, the loading bay. So I know him from that. Um, and I think he's a character actor that's also popped up in a couple of things comedy-wise in America. In America. But, um, yeah, mainly yes. from that. So he's done a bunch of Tim and Eric stuff, and I knew him from this insane thing he did. So he played a character uh, called K. Strauss, the yo-yo guy, and you can you can find it on YouTube. And basically what he realised was is that morning shows in America will just book people without doing any vetting. So he basically emailed just as many morning shows as he could saying, my name is Kay Strauss. You know, I'm a, I'm a performer who does, you know, yo-yo tricks. And he would go on as this character and he can't do yo-yo tricks. 
and would just like throw these yo-yos around and toss them and would like just bring up like really sad facts about his life and how his wife left him. And these like morning hosts are just scrambling to figure out like how they interact with this man. It's amazing. So he's just like, I, I just think he's just a very funny man and just very like, no, he knows what he thinks is funny and it will like just defend it to the core. And I really, and I feel like, particularly in like what we do in shadows, his comedic sensibility is kind of, it's probably the most, I think mainstream it's ever been in terms of like there's overlap between the show and then what he kind of does, which is just being weird and awkward. Yeah. But it's sort of forced into the light by the other three vampires because their sort of humor is just so bleak and dark and just off kilter. It sort of forces his into, into the light sort of, um, totally. Just yeah. Like, I love the um the the fact that he's just an energy vampire because uh, in that first couple of uh, like the second or third episode where he's actually, he meets a he falls in love with another energy vampire That's and, but, right. but they haven't quite fallen in love yet and he's just observing her doing her work and then draining people of their time. I'm just like I've worked with people like this. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I think the the relatability of Colin Robinson as a character is is excellent. Mm. You know, I think everyone. I think they yeah, the the idea that like everyone knows someone like that is very fun. Mm. I love the inclusion of Matt Berry. Um, the best. Uh, who, yeah, which is just uh, whenever there's someone uh, from the IT crowd that just pops up anywhere, I get sort of excited. Um, uh, I didn't really. No, Caven Novak beforehand, um, but yeah, I'm I'm the same. I had no idea who he was before the show. I don't know if it gets explored further down the track, but is he meant to be a gay vampire? Look, I think they're all. Um, I think they're all. You know, queer. As this show goes on, it's they're definitely fluid. That comes up a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a. Um, a big, <laughs> big thing that comes basically is that they're, you know, they're vampires, they've lived forever. So at this point, they're sort of not particularly up to sex with you. Yeah. yeah, but I love it. Um, my favorite episode in season one is definitely the one where we have uh, Machete turns up, Evan Rachel oh, Wood turns yeah. up, Taika Watiti turns up, which is just absolutely hilarious. Um, I believe they're the council because um, they the three the three main vampires have uh, killed another vampire and that's a no no. Um, that's right. Yeah, the the council stuff's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just so so much fun, and I feel like it's the first vampire property in a while that's done something new and interesting. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's funny because I've heard people like there was a meme that went online that was kind of like what we do in shadows like had the 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 amazing idea to be like what if uh <laughs> what if vampires were really dumb and like they get so much out of that like that premise that idea that these these like people have been around for thousands of years but have absolutely none of like the wisdom or like the you know the the temperament that you would expect and are instead just insane mm. yeah so like, like for instance when uh, what's his name? Um, Kevin Novak's character. Um, oh yeah, Nandor the Relentless. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, he comes to a realization 
that he needs to become a citizen. <laughs> it's just kind of like, dude, you were around back when they, uh, when they were handing oh, yeah. this stuff out. Why didn't you just become a citizen? <laughs> I mean, and I think that's the other thing that the show does really well, I think, is the idea that, um, you know, the characters are uh, a model, but they care about things that are really petty and really temporary. Mm-hmm. And I, I, at least I find episodes that deal with like, petty shit and them kind of arguing or, you know, talking about petty stuff are the best. And and that's why I love the first season and second especially because it really focuses on that. All the storylines are kind of about a, almost always a character being petty about something. And that's kind of when the, where the show really shines because the characters are so, so ridiculous and so dumb and so selfish. So, you know, any kind of uh, conflict always escalates. Yeah, yeah, that's it. All right, well, uh, Christoph, present your something readable. <laughs> okay, so this is the one thing uh, that I would actually describe as like good art out of the three things I'm talking about today, um, uh, which is Fairies of the Fault Lines by Iris Compete. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm, I'm saying her last name right, um, but Iris is an amazing Scandinavian artist. Um and she does amazing watercolor fantasy work. Um, mm. So she illustrated, and I believe wrote as well the um, the a dark crystal book that like details all the all the various monsters of the world. And yeah, so she's she's very good at like a very like dark crystal. Very so actually, I believe Brian Froud, who was responsible for the um, the labyrinth creature design actually writes a forward to the book. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of where she's coming from in terms of her art and her kind of voice. Um, it definitely feels like, you know, at sharing some DNA with, with fruit, but then going in kind of like, you know, a, a, a new direction as well. So yeah, basically fairies of the fault lines is kind of presented like a journal that she's kept of all the sort of various fairy creatures that she's encountered in her time. And there's illustrations and lore. Um, yeah. And it's really, really exceptional. It was just a delight to read. And, you know, she's one of those, those artists really, you know, it's a storyteller that just kind of effortlessly weaves worlds in a way that, you know, not everyone can. So I, I just think it's an exceptional book and I can't recommend it enough. I'm looking at the art here and this would make a really good coffee table piece. Hey. Oh, 100%. Although I would also encourage, I, you know, sat down and read it all because I think the other thing is that the art is fantastic, but the lore that accompanies each kind of piece is really fascinating as well. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, again, what maybe uh, sets her apart from other fantasy illustrators is that, you know, that you feel like she can kind of, there's like full world that goes with it as well and she's kind of able to talk about that. Um, and I know recently she did some um, art for Magic the Gathering. And I, I'm very tempted to pick up her card just for the art because it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It has sort of that childlike fantasy but also dark 100%. fantasy. Yes. And I, think that's, and I think that's what it has in common with, you know, the Brian Fruit stuff, yeah, you know, because it's very like Labyrinth and um, – uh, Well, funnily and enough, she, she did a Labyrinth – that's right. Yes. Book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she did a similar one for the dark, I believe for the dark crystal as well. So there's that real kind of like Henson, yeah, fruit DNA running through there, which I think is just brilliant. That idea yeah. that like you can make fantasy that that is for, for that children can enjoy, but that can also be quite scary. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, that's a good that's a it's a good log line. Um make sure she doesn't steal that off you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so I just yeah. I can't recommend the book enough. I think her work is just fan fantastic, you know. Yeah. It, yeah nice. An exceptional artist. Nice. My something readable is Outcast, which uh, just before we jumped on this call, I was actually finishing the first volume. So Outcast is by uh, Robert Kirkman um, and also by the artist by... Is it Paul Azetta? That's it. Yeah, Paul Azetta. Yes. Yeah, I read, I believe I read the first arc as it came out. Hmm. Colouring is by Elizabeth Brightweiser and Russ Wooten is the letterer. That's the name I see a lot. Um, so it's basically, uh, it feels to me like um, The Exorcist, if The Exorcist were a comic book and if it was done better. Um, <laughs> shot, <laughs> uh, shots fired, I mean, you know, you can love love The Exorcist all you want. I mean, I do. It's a classic horror film, but um, uh, you know, it's not without its own flaws. But um, the uh, I guess the great thing about comics is you can you can expand on sort of those themes. Um, it the uh, so it's about this um, this guy who uh, is sort of living by himself because he beat up his daughter. And his ex, oh, I'm assuming his ex-wife, because he thought they were possessed. And as it sort of turns out, he uh, turns out that it, they were uh, well. The daughter definitely was possessed. Um, the guy's mother was possessed. So he's one of those people where everyone around him is possessed <laughs> by a demon of some description. Yes. Yeah, um, I, something about him that attract demons, or for some reason they're particularly interested in him. Mm. And as it sort of is coming, I haven't finished the first volume. I have about 10 pages to go, but um, it's sort of giving, they talk about the outcast, the outcast, the outcast, and you eventually find out it goes to prison to come across this sort of this uh, possessed inmate who calls him the outcast. And sort of there's this feeling that the outcast is him and it is someone who was probably possessed at one point, but uh, they... They um um that he was rejected or um they couldn't keep they couldn't keep him under their control for some reason. So um, what I really love about it is it's one of those um it's one of those comic series where Kirkman taps into the language the of Amer- like American sort of middle and lower class quite well, uh, which a lot yeah, of people don't seem to. In, at least in the indie comics crowd, they don't really tap into finding the voice of the character, which you don't need a character to be talking grammatically correct, you know, and and Kirkman has that understanding of it. He also has this understanding of sort of like uh, pacing really well in this series as well. And it's just, I think it's just one of those um, books that he's done that he's just um, not as known for, for doing it, but it's, yeah, it's lots of fun. Yeah, I'm going to, yeah, so the interesting thing about uh, Outcast is I believe he sold it as a TV show before he'd even written the first issue. Is there a TV show? Yes, I don't believe it ran. I think it only ran a season. But, yeah, I believe it was an AMC, I think it was an AMC TV show. And then the other interesting thing you bring up about his sort of voice 
uh, really kind of understanding, you know, like the voice of middle America and that kind of culture. It's interesting because that's kind of where he comes from. And when he was talking mm-hmm. about the walking dead, uh, in the first kind of, you know, the, the initial characters in those books, he describes them as like people he kind of lived around and grew up around. And then later on when he came and did Fear the Walking Dead, he he sort of was like, well, now let me write this as if it's happening to people I'm around now in, in L.A. So that's kind of the, yeah, interesting yeah. thing about Kirk. Before he, you know, he comes from a really interesting time in comics because I don't know if you knew how he got his start, but he basically – borrowed a bunch of money, like 30 grand and self-published his comic, got it printed and put it through diamond. And that's how he kind of began to build an audience and eventually got picked up by image. Um, I, I believe that's a very like abridged version, but he sort of comes from a, yeah, a really specific time where you could kind of do that. Whereas now that's not really, you know, getting into diamond doesn't really mean anything because it's so, so oversaturated. It doesn't, you know, guarantee you success or an audience, you know, in the way that it kind of did a little bit more when when Kirkman did it. But yeah, I, he's just his body of work and him as a creator, I find really fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't know what it. Yeah, I don't know what it is with him. He's just. I think it's just um, like the way he writes is just a lot more relevant, and it just feels uh, there's a sense of realism with the characters. Yeah, I mean, I think what he does really well is that he he's able to, if you look at all his big hits, right, they're all highly established genres, you know, so you've got The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. you got know, superheroes you've got, with Invincible. Yeah, yeah, you've got Invincible, and somehow he's able to kind of, you know, and even like his newer stuff like Firepower, you know, is clearly referencing Iron Fist, but he's able to kind of come into these well-established genres and, and, and just bring in your angle, you know, and mm. our cast to me kind of came across the same thing as well, right? He's coming into kind of like the exorcist possession, you know, subgenre of horror and he has his own kind of angle, you know, which, which is the idea of like the outcast and, you know, and, and, that, and that kind of lore and stuff. So I, I just think he's, yeah, really good at cracking what you think is kind of a, a done genre, cracking it open. Mm. Maybe that's why it makes it a good opportunity to strike. Yeah, yeah. All right, present your something listenable. <laughs> Again, I apologize in advance. But... <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a podcast I'm obsessed with uh, called Doughboys. I suggested that we call our product a Whopper, knowing that this would convey imagery of something big. These are the words of Jim McLemore, co-founder of the nation's second largest burger chain, describing in his autobiography the conception of his company's signature hamburger sandwich. First launched in 1957 for sale at 37 cents, the Whopper celebrates its 65th anniversary this year, naturally at a much higher price point. But the burgery that slings this beefy big boy has no plans for retirement. It remains the brand-defining offering of this Pepsi of hamburger joints. And though the rest of its menu has evolved over the years, reacting to various industry trends, the current Chiking line reflects the ongoing Chick-fil-A-style chicken sandwich craze, the Florida-founded fast food franchise has remained a Whopper-centric universe. And I was thinking a lot about the the podcast and why I like it, which I, I, I do a lot. It's a practically part of my personality at this point. But the premise and kind of the logline of the podcast is it's a podcast about chain restaurants. So in it, basically each week, these two guys in the States eat at a chain restaurant and review it. Um but I, I, like all podcasts, you know, I, after they've been writing a, a certain amount of time, they kind of develop, they, they're kind of like their own living organism, you know, there's in jokes and there's kind of an in kind of 
does it, yeah, it kind of becomes a whole thing. So at this point, you know, there's a lot of in jokes and a lot of like the premise kind of the underlying premise of the podcast is that these two guys have, who are both in their forties now have trapped themselves into a position where every week they have to eat fast food and, <laughs> and their Patreon makes enough of their income that they can't stop. And, you know, and a story one of the hosts brings up often is that his mother has come to him crying, asking him to stop doing the podcast because she's concerned about his health. And it's played as for laughs. So it's, it's, ah, uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's hard to explain, um, and it mm. certainly takes. Oh, no, I think you've explained it well enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's really these two men that are trapped in a you know a world where they have to each week uh, eat fast food and and talk about it, and they're technically food critics, but they'll spend half the podcast talking about like how badly the uh, the food messed up their digestive system. I think I need to. I think I think yeah. I need to listen to it from the start because, like you said, there's a lot of um, in jokes, and I I think I made the mistake of going in listening to uh, like a live show I found on YouTube. They seem to do a lot yeah. of that. The live shows are hard um, because also, especially when they have a crowd, you know, a lot of the time they'll like do you know the bits or like you know in jokes uh, deliberately because yeah. the crowd you know the crowd the crowd loves them, and there are certainly a bunch of a bu- yeah a bunch of that and. Yeah, it's I'm I'm going to ramble for a minute here, but it's interesting. So the reason I got into the podcast is one of the hosts uh Nick Weiger is is sort of he's been in the LA comedy scene for a long time doing sketch and he's written on a bunch of shows. Um he used to write for Funny or Die, he wrote on recently the show Earth to Ned, I'm which is on Disney Plus. I'm trying to think what other stuff he's written on, but he's you know, he's been in a lot of comedy writers and his kind of kind of style of comedy is aggressively what I find funny, which is something very stupid done over and over again, which I just think is the best. And, you know, that's to an extent what Doughboys is, is they repeat the same jokes and it's the same stupid thing done over again. And I kind of got to know Nick Weiger because are you familiar with the podcast Comedy Bang Bang? No. So it was a TV show as well, and it's another long-running podcast where basically – comedians come on and they do characters and they do improvisational characters. Sometimes I might have like a bit prepared or material prepared. Sometimes I might just have a really loose concept and it's really, it's, it's, it's a really fun podcast. And he would frequently every Halloween go on as this character called Leo Carpazzi. And the story behind Leo Carpazzi is that he wrote the song, the original version of the song, the monster mash. But because his lyrics were too visceral and too real, he had to tone them down through the studio into the version that we all now know and love. But he wants to play his original raw version of the song. And basically, um, is it okay if I swear or do I need to? If not, I can censor myself because it doesn't. No, 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 no. Okay. So the original version of the Monster Mash is a song called The Monster Fuck in which he for three minutes he graphic graphically describes the universal monsters all having sex with each other, and it's the most disgusting thing you've ever heard. But even just thinking about it makes me laugh. Um, and basically, every Halloween show he would come on as his character. He would claim he'd written a new song, and every time he would play the monster buck. And he did it. He's done it for close to ten years at this point. <laughs> so that kind of gives you an idea of the pedigree of the humor, given that he's one of the co-hosts. And creators of Doughboys. 
Um, I mean, even just thinking about substituting Nash for Fuck, and then I'm just yes. singing it in my head right now. I'm just. I will. I, look, I will send. I will send you like um, some videos of him performing because it's very. It's like the detail of the lyrics. Like he would have spent. Obviously, he just sings the same song again and again. But to write the original one would have taken him an hour or two, and the fact he spent that much time thinking about the Universal Monsters all having sex with each other. And you know, in very graphic, graphic <laughs> descriptions is the best. It's anyway. So that's how I got into Doughboys, and I just think it's the stupidest, funniest podcast. Um, and the thing I kind of really like about it is, like I was saying, a lot of what's funny about it is the subtext, and I think it it really benefits from having you you're sort of building an asymmetrical relationship with these people where you really kind of can understand the deep lore and and everything going on in their lives so when they say something at you know that for a first time listener might not be particularly funny uh you know if you're a long time listener you get it because you kind of know what's going on in their lives and the previous jokes they've made and all that all that kind of stuff but yeah no i just think it's a doughboys is a brilliant a brilliant podcast it is a little bit impenetrable so i would recommend yeah, I, I don't know if you need to necessarily go back to the beginning, but I would recommend sort of picking a point and then just sticking with it and listening. And, and slowly through osmosis, you kind of will pick everything up. That's kind of how I did it. I maybe listened like three years ago when they were about halfway halfway through. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah, so that is <laughs> that is my very long way of explaining what Doughboy is. <laughs> All right. Um, so my something listenable is a little – American rock band, which a lot of people I'm assuming have never heard of, called Goon Moon. project um which sort of incorporates stoner rock and sort of like disco synth and all sorts of weird shit um made up of geordie white who some people know him as his stage name twiggy ramirez from marilyn manson's band uh the bass player and then uh the other guy that uh writes in this band is uh, chris goss um and chris goss is kind of your you're sort of your background um, stoner rock musician who has done a lot of sort of being the puppet master in terms of like inspiring a lot of musicians like Josh Freese from Queens of the Stone Age, uh, even like the the guys from Tumbleweed over here in Australia. He's just he's been one of those personalities who was just so instrumental in what the the desert rock or the, you know, the stoner rock sound sounds like. So it's, um, I think it goes for eight tracks from memory. Um, there's uh, one song which I think everyone needs to listen to at least once in their life called Weird Rock, um, which is just weird rock, rock weird, just repeated. <laughs> I love that. Just on and on and on and on with some just weird synth uh, effects. And it, it's just lots of fun. It's, it, look, it's not one of those bands that will ever, ever get into the charts, but it's just um, 
it's it's just a lot of stupid fun. It, it just feels like uh, two guys that who are quite established in their own life decided, you know what, um, let's make a project together. And it's uh, lots of fun. It certainly reminded me a little bit in terms of vibe and also because is Josh Homie from Queens of the Stone Age also involved in it as well in some capacity? I said Josh Frace. I meant Josh Home. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it reminded me a lot of, I don't know if you've listened to any of um, Eagles of Death Metal. I could never get into it. It just reminded me that not so much in musical style, but in that idea of like just the fun and it was clearly kind of people riffing on music and, and a musical style they really liked and really like kind of having fun with it. It reminded me of that kind of same energy. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it, he knows those guys pretty well, so that would be why. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's often like the, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because that kind of music where it's sort of two people riffing on what they love, it's either some of the best stuff you've ever heard or self or really self-indulgent. I think in this case, it skews more towards It's both. It's yeah, both. Yeah, no, no, it's it's yeah, both. Elements, <laughs> elements where you're like, all right, well, these guys just had some studio time and just wanted to mess around. Yeah, well, it has, it has that vibe to it too, and that's probably why, why I still like it even to this day. All right, Christoph, let's do the verdicts. Where yeah. any of my picks, you're kind of weird. So I think... I mean, what we do in Shadows, I you know, I, I I love and I watch, so that definitely was. And then with Outcast, you know, I read it a long time ago, but I think after chatting with you, I'm definitely keen to revisit it. Um, I quite enjoyed what I listened to today of, of Goon Moon in preparation because I'm a pro. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely, I think, I think with like Stoner Rock and that early kind of 2000 or like mid 2005, just I don't think it hit me at the right time. So I, I didn't dislike it, but it certainly didn't. I think grab me in the way that it grabs you. Mm, mm. For me, I think the Doughboys podcast is something that I need to listen more to. Like, oh, the, hell yes, I'm always happy yeah. when I get another Doughboys fan. <laughs> and it's uh, it's probably also because I'm in sort of that phase of trying to lose weight, so I'm literally driving. Like my wife is in the car and um, I'm not, I'm at the point now where I don't even look at other women. I look at other restaurants. So, um, <laughs> so like, oh, KFC, oh, there's fucking KFC. I could have some of that right now. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Uh, Fairies of the Fault Lines, that looks like a really cool book just to own. You know, um, yeah. I, again, like I, I think the you know it's worth reading, but also it has a really lovely like flick through quality to it. And a lot of the time when I'm like writing fantasy or or trying to do stuff in the fantasy space, I will sit down and just like flick through it just for a bit of inspiration because it's it's that kind of book. And seeking sister wife, um, <laughs> it's probably not my kind of weird, but I feel like it's something I'll end up watching with my wife at some point. Look. I the way I describe any TLC show is like if you if like if you watch them, welcome to the family. If you don't, they're not worth your time. And I think this is why is I will talk about it all day, but I don't think I can honestly recommend it to someone who isn't already watching it. Yeah, yeah, it's a that's a tough one. All right, everyone, we're gonna go for a quick sponsor break, and when we get back, we're gonna be talking about lots and lots of meatballs. All right, everyone, welcome back to My Kind of Weird. Christoph, you you have meatballs on the mind, so I hear. Your comic book? Oh, yes. Sorry, yes. Meatballs. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, meat for burgers. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's I, I didn't actually plan this, but it's I, it makes sense that I was talking about Doughboys, given my kind of weird love and fascination with uh, with uh, fast food, which is yeah, kind of kind of explored among other things. In yeah, the the new comic that I've just gone on crowdfunded now with the amazing Becca Kubrick uh, called Meat for Burgers. Nice, nice. And um, where's the inspiration from? Yeah, so, besides food. So meat. <laughs> yeah, no. So Meat for Burgers basically started. Um, so I've had the great honor of knowing Becca for almost uh, two years now. Um, and we have been and still are working on a bunch of pitches together. And we we were working on a bunch of pitches. Publishers weren't biting. They weren't going anywhere. Uh, so Becca basically came to me and said, hey, Thought Bubble is coming up. I want to have uh, a comic for Thought Bubble. Do you, do you have like a 20-page short in you? And being the terrible writer I am, I gave her twenty pages of what has what has is meat for burgers, which at this point has no end point, which is an an ongoing series that we will make until we think it's finished or until we die. Um, but yeah, so I, I first off, it came from that kind of sense of like just wanting to have fun, um, mm-hmm. and then it also came out of the the sense of frustration trying to kind of sell something and and having to make it you know monetize everything and make everything profitable. Um, so that's kind of a big thing in Meat for Burgers. I mean, at its core, you know, it's about these people kind of trapped in a fast food place and they, they can't get out. They don't know why they're there. The customers are these weird otherworldly entities. Um, and it's, so it's kind of a workplace, you know, a drama mixed with cosmic horror. That's kind of about how they, they handle it. And thematically, it really is kind of about, you know, I think at the moment we're in a little bit of a, a renaissance of, of, of media that is questioning capitalism. Um, but something I kind of wanted to explore was the personal toll of being part of this system, kind of like the psychic damage uh, that it deals, you know, that 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 what that kind of being this meat bag that is there to generate money, what that kind of does to your mind and how it like messes with your sense of self and self-worth. Well, you know, I'm sure we would all do without capitalism if we could afford it, you know. Um. Oh, 100%. You know, I think, and that's the other thing that kind of wanted to explore, the inescapability of it, right? You know, mm-hmm. is it, you, yeah, you kind of can't get around it and the way that it kind of, just consumes all aspects of our lives and particularly our imagination. You know, it's really hard to envisage a world where some form of, of capitalism doesn't exist. And, you know, it really kind of uh, is in all our media. Yeah. I mean, the the other opposing thought is socialism and, you know, communism. But then the problem with those two theories is, or oh, that one theory is um, it works, just not with humans. <laughs> you know that's the one of the many privileges of being a writer is that you know you can ask questions you don't you know what you don't have uh, to answer them <laughs> but yeah amazing advice it's like you just ask the questions and if you mm-hmm. don't have an answer you mm-hmm. that can be your answer and i think definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> for burgers and you know we, we don't really know what the answer is but what we can kind of talk about is is how how messed up and shitty it can feel to be to be part of this system mm. Uh, you know, particularly um, something that we've, we've, you know, I, I think everyone has their own kind of relationship with capitalism, but uh, personally I have bipolar two and one of the diagnostic or criteria for bipolar two, or at least when I got diagnosed <laughs> was in an inability to hold down a job and taking lots of sick days. Um, 
So that kind of fascinated me, this idea that like just the way my brain is kind of wired and set up is already like in opposition, already makes it hard to function in this kind of environment. And that kind of fascinated me. Like I what type of, like, and, like not able to hold down what type of job or just Great jobs? Question. Yeah, just jobs. And, you know, that's definitely, you know, I've jobbed hop a lot in my life, you know, and it's definitely something that has affected me a lot. As I've gotten older, I've, I've gotten better at managing it, but it's definitely, you know, it's definitely something that, that is looked down upon. You know, we're in this system where if you don't kind of fit in and can't hold down a job, and regularly, you know, attend and be a good little cog. The system is designed to shame you and make you feel like shit. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, whether it's mental illness, physical, you know, chronic pain issues, you know, uh, anxiety, people, you know, uh, neuroatypical folks, you know, there are a lot of reasons why among the normal ones, why, you know, working in the system can be challenging. And I think hopefully the point of Meet for Burgers is to be like, this whole thing is insane. And it's wild that we've all decided it's normal and it's okay. You know, it's, it, and it's just, Hey, remember, this is not normal. This is insane. And, you know, if you're surviving in this environment, you know, we're all surviving in this insane environment and, and it's, a, it's a lot. It's, it's, you know, it's a good on you for surviving is kind of the, you know, is kind of hopefully the resounding kind of message. It's interesting then. Um, have you found it easier since a lot of people have had to start working from home? Great question. Um, yes, look, I've, I, I definitely have. I mean, I'm kind of lucky, and I think a lot of people, you know, that I know that are uh, atypical, neuroatypical, or have, you know, uh, bipolar, you know, a lot of what, what you do as an adult is learning to build your life in a way, you know, that you can function well in. And so for me, I've always, you know, even before uh, COVID, I would work, you know, part-time and a lot of what I do is like, you know, contract stuff. So I've always had flexibility, but certainly just now being home, working from home, being the norm, that's been really, really helpful. And I know a lot of, you know, a lot of people um, definitely don't want to go back into the office, you know, not just for the obvious reasons, but also because, you know, for a lot of people's mental health, you know, is, is so much better working from home and having control over that environment. Oh, man. Uh, we were talking about um, what we do in the shadows before and energy vampires. I don't think I could work in an office again. Um, I guess I've just been privileged enough to be in jobs where I don't have to uh, go into an office uh, over the last sort of three and a half years. But it's like, man, like, you get to work and you got these these just assholes that spend an hour in the break room and it's just like, dude, you haven't even started working. How about you, how about you start there? How about you start there? Is is that cool with you? Um, and no, no, don't just walk over to my de- no, no, don't send my desk. Oh man, <laughs> now I've got to tell you to fuck off, and then you get pissed off, and it's just it's a whole it's a whole shit cycle, Christoph. <laughs> I just want nothing to do with no, that. Totally. <laughs> Well, that's kind of the other thing, right, is that in any workplace, basically the only thing that's, that is uh, joining everyone together is that they need money and they happen yeah. to be able to do this yeah. thing, mm. <laughs> which is kind of in its own right a, like a wild thought. It's interesting the sort of the top end of town, i.e. managers, owners of businesses have found it so hard to cope with. Isn't it interesting? I, I just find that that's that's uh, interesting. They can't force people to go back into work. It's 100%. an employee's world now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, well, and again, that is something that I, I yeah, th- think about. And again, it's something that I definitely kind of thought about in Meet for Burgers, this idea that they kind of want to, you know, by paying you, they kind of want to own you in a way. They want to contain you within a physical space, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, work, yeah, workplaces, you know, there's bosses who want people back just because it looks good. And what does yeah. that even mean? But it's that feeling of control, I think. And, yeah. and you know, the fact that just doing your job isn't enough, someone has to kind of feel like they own and control you. And, and that kind of aspect, ownership aspect of capitalism, you know, is, is, is so troubling. And I think messes with our heads a lot more than we maybe have time to think about. Yeah, 100%. Your Kickstarter has... A bit of time left, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually, so we're actually doing it through crowd crowdfunder. No, Sorry, all good. I, I often accidentally refer to it as a Kickstarter just because they're the big dog. But yeah, so we're doing it through crowdfunder. Um, and the reason for that is crowdfunder is kind of, you know, I'm um, doing a lot to support indie creators right now. Um, so, and they've got a partnership with Thought Bubble. So the amazing Becca Kubrick, who's um, the art. Uh, artist and co-creator behind Meat for Burgers is is based in the UK and they're going to be at Thought Bubble. So by doing it through Crowdfunder, we've been able to get a whole bunch of support through them uh, and and we're going to be one of their featured uh, Thought Bubble projects. But yeah, so it's um, Crowdfunder with no E, so just dr, um, dot com slash meat for the number four burgers. Um, yeah, and so we're about at time of uh, chatting with you we're about two days in so it's going to be running for three weeks in total okay yeah nice nice yeah so we've already hit our goal so our goal was deliberately super low um just to cover the cost of printing but you know we really want to encourage people to get on um because you know the book's done basically you know the book's done we can afford to print it so it's definitely going ahead you know and and this is a great time for people to jump on there's no risk you know um, unfortunately, just due to logistics, we only offer shipping, uh, for physical copies for the U S and UK, but we do have a bunch of really good digital options for people not in those countries. Unfortunately, you know, as you know, Anthony trying to ship everything, anything to or from Australia is just very expensive and it's really kind of hard to factor all the, all that kind of stuff in when you run. Oh, I'm <laughs> about to find out. I just got this anthology that i've been working on for a while if the printing's done it's about to be shipped when it gets here i've got like 50 us backers and i'm just yeah my bank account is not gonna like me (laughs) i think um becca sent me you know a bunch of uh, copies of meat for burgers just so i had some copies that um and i think they were saying that it cost 30 bucks uh 30 uh pounds to ship from the uk to to australia so it's just it's just not, unfortunately not economical um mm. yeah it, so we've decided to go with um uh, digital digital rewards for people outside of the uk and the us for that reason that yeah, said okay. you know we work with a lot of great um retail partners you know so it's in australia it's available through the first issue is available through cockatoo comics um, it's also in the amazing Silver Sprocket store. It's in a bunch of other stores around the UK uh, and one in Ireland as well, I believe, at Little Deer Comics. So it's, you know, so we're working with a bunch of retail retail places as well. Um, and we Smart. have a link tree set up with all the different um, the different retail retailers where, you can, where it will be in stock and after the Kickstarter, a little bit after the Kickstarter as well, uh, we'll be sending out copies of two for our retail partners. But um, uh the the crowdfunder rather is the the place to get in first. 
Great. So where can they find the crowd? Do you have like a tiny URL or something like that that I can put in show notes? Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a tiny URL. Yeah. And if you also go to my Twitter account, uh, which is Christoph uh, Borges, so that's Christ with an OF on the end and then B-O-G-A-C-S. Um, that's where you'll find me. I've got, uh, it has my pinned tweet as well. Hmm. Um, and if you also, yeah, uh, go to crowdfunder slash, uh, meat for burgers, you'll find us there. Fantastic. I think I'm going to go find a burger now. <laughs> I know, right? Every, every time I like talk about it, I want to fill my body with trash. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's us. We're signing off. Christoph, thank you very much for your time. Fuck you for making me think about fast food. <laughs> I'm so and sorry. And everyone, go support his stuff. Um, and that is it, everyone. See you next time. And you'll hear me next time on My Kind of Weird. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.